Our Old Testament passage today comes from our continued story of, of Jonah. I'm, I'm wondering if um, when you see, are we doing Jonah? It's only four chapters long. Beloved, we're four weeks into it and seven verses into the first chapter. And I don't do that out of pride or any desire to prolong something. I just am astounded that not one jot, not one tittle, not one word of Scripture is, is meaningless, right? It, each one is set apart for us, for our well-being. And so I just really want to invite you, each time we come back to this familiar story, to open your heart again to what God might want to say. I'm going to pick up. In case you're visiting with us today, the earlier portion we looked at the last three weeks together. but And then today especially, we're going to focus on verses 4 through um, 6. But in Jonah chapter 1, we hear this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, here it is, arise, watch that word, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah, there he answered, he arose, but he fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarsha, and he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Here's our passage for today. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, like a pitcher in a baseball hurling a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners, the seamen, were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the city and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? <laughs> A female voice that said that to me once or twice. What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. And perhaps the God who perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. The very word of the Lord. Mm. It's from the book of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 through 30. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, excuse me, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. 
He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Oh, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. This is the very word of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Well, last week we focused especially on um, the first couple of verses of Jonah. And you remember that the aha moment last week when we gathered together was this, that Jonah was running from the presence of God. It wasn't running, at least we're not told that he's running from the Ninevites. We're not told that he's running out of fear. We're told that he's running from God. Now, the whole book of Jonah is going to help us unpack that and understand that as we continue to move, but we reminded you of the lesson of the prodigal God, right? Some people run from God by being very bad, by doing bad things. Um, uh, Romans chapter 1 is dedicated to that, um, uh, people that, that, that turn away from God and, and run by rebelling against Him. But some people, in fact, many people run from God by trying to be very, very good, by trying to be your man in, in Samaria, your prophet, your, your person, right? And Jonah, when he was called then to speak against the wickedness of the Ninevites, and then that's just awkward to say that, but he, he was called to speak against this culture there, he runs the other way. Well, I want to, I want to just, invite you to think differently a little bit on a couple of different things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and stay very close to the Word today, but a couple of places I'm going to take you a little bit off and just invite you to think about something for a second. Every other prophet in Jonah's day, we learned in the last couple of weeks, spoke powerfully against Jonah's culture. Now remember that Jonah is a part of Israel. This is so confusing because we're used to thinking of Israel as a unity. But remember that uh, in the days following Solomon, that Israel split, led by a guy named Jeroboam, they split and established false worship centers. And so for the last, if this is 80, uh, excuse me, this is 750 B.C., for the last 200, 250 years, there has been a split in the people of Israel. And, and Jonah is not a part of the good ones. Jonah is up in Samaria, a prophet of God amongst the people who have rebelled against God. Some of you have, remember when we went to Tel Dan, they, you have seen the, the location of the false altar that they established there in direct opposition to what God wanted them to do. And so for upwards of 250 years, Jonah has been living in a culture that was disobedient to God. Where am I going with all this? Um, I don't know for sure. This is completely Dave right here for a second. But I don't know but that, that while every other prophet of God was speaking against uh, this false worship, Jonah is not. This is not recorded for us. Let me put it that way. In fact, the only time we hear uh, of Jonah doing what God asked him to do was right here in the book of Jonah. And so, 
So what does God do when his, when his disciple, his person, doesn't do what he wants him to do, right, uh, in his own culture? So I'm not, I'm not trying to draw any missionary ramifications of this. I see, I see a problem arising. He sends them. I'm not speaking into your life, Sean, okay? <laughs> he, I'm, I'm wondering if it's not easier to go speak against somebody else's culture, to go speak into somebody else's culture, right? I mean, think about all the things that drive you nuts. All those people that do all those things, right? Doesn't that just drive you nuts, right? Well, why is it so easy to think about all those people? Because it's a lot easier to think about those people than it is to think about this person. Are you following me? I don't know. This is completely Dave, but I, I, I don't know. But that um, God didn't invite Jonah to speak against everybody's enemies because it was a lot easier than speaking against the enemy within himself, within his own culture. And, and yet, Jonah didn't. Why? Because, because Jonah had, and we'll explore this the entire study, Jonah had a false understanding of the mercy of God. And if you leave this place today with a false understanding of the mercy of God, you will not understand how precious you are in his sight. You will not understand how great the God that you worship is. You will not understand the lengths to which God would go to draw not only you, but but the culture around us to himself as well. If you were not with us last week, I, I, I suggested pretty strongly that we are the major exporters of sin globally. We are the major trendsetters to, to um, globally that many cultures follow. And it makes sense that God is going to want to begin with us. God is going to want to begin with us. So as you look at the story of Jonah, let's just recognize that God is speaking through him, but he's also speaking to him. And God wants to speak through you, but he's also speaking to you. And I pray in the few moments that we have here that we can hear God speak to us. Now maybe, maybe if Jonah had preached to the Ninevites um, and they repented, he might have been more likely to understand the mercy of God. We're not to that part of the story. He might have desired to seek that mercy for his own culture and joined Amos and joined uh, Nahum and joined the other prophets of his day who were speaking into the culture in which they live. We'll never know because he ran. He ran from the presence of God. And that just reminds me again of the lessons of the last couple of weeks. You, you're never farther from God than when you're close to God and disobedient. Can I say that again? You're never farther from God than when you're close to Him and don't do what He asks. So what happens when we run from God? What happens when we're disobedient? Right. That brings us to our passage today. Here's the question we're answering. What happens when God's people are disobedient, taken from the story of Jonah? Well, you saw it. God hurled a storm, right? It, I mean, again, the imagery is just amazing uh, uh, of God just saying, all righty, I see that ship. Uh, and, and he hurls a storm at that ship. Jonah 1.4, but the Lord hurled a great wind, just as he had described Nineveh as a great city. He now throws at this ship a great wind upon the sea. And I don't know if you ever do that thing when you were a kid in a pool, you get a mattress at one end of the pool and you start pushing down on it. Am I the only one that did this? 
You start pushing down. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, you have no clue what I'm talking about. Well, it sends waves down to the other end, right? And then those waves hit the wall and they start coming back, but they're, inter- they're hit by the other waves that you're still creating. And pretty soon, it's really cool, actually, the whole pool is a tempest. The whole pool is, is rocking and rolling. And, and now we're not talking about your backyard swimming pool. We're talking about the Mediterranean Sea. The whole Mediterranean Sea is this mighty tempest, Right? So that the ship itself that they were in was, was threatened to break up. It was a great storm. So great that the unbelieving professional mariners who, who lived on that ship, who worked that ship day in and day out, were frightened to death. And as, as we'll see in the weeks to come, they recognized this is no normal storm. This is of divine origin, right? The ship began to break up. Now keep in mind that, that the ship was what they were trusting in to get them from here to there, right? In, in their minds, they might have been trusting in their, their uh, own abilities, their skills and abilities, but, but, but as the storm raged, they started to realize that there was nothing that they could do. And so now their trust is in the ship that they're in, right? And they probably did what most mariners did. They, they dropped ropes around it and strapped that ship together, tried to hold that thing together, right? Um, they tried to, to keep the ship that they were riding on together. Now, some may have been, been and some were, um, recognizing that even the ship wasn't going to work and they were crying out to their gods. But practically, on the moment-by-moment basis, they were hoping, they were crying out for this ship to keep from, from breaking apart. Let me press pause for just a moment and... and, and ask you, and I think I'm really asking myself, this question, in what or in whom am I putting my trust? You're following me? What is my ship? What is it that I'm, I'm, I'm subliminally thinking is going to provide for all my needs, is going to provide safety and protection? And, and in this case, this is, their, this is their work, so it's going to provide provision for them as well, right? In what am I putting my trust? What is my ship? Is it my family? Is, is the ship my job? Is, is the ship this church? Even the church building? What, what is the ship in which I'm trusting, right? Because here's the deal. There will always be ships, right? There will always be ships in which we are tempted to put our trust, God sometimes hurls a storm at our ships to test us and to invite us to put our trust in the only place that, that can sustain that trust, in Him. He invites us to put our trust where it really belongs. But it was this great storm that God hurled, right? Now note that the storm evoked different responses, right? Let's start with the sailors. The sailors became very animated, right? They became very animated. They were frightened, and they cried out to their pagan gods. It's so ironic. I, I'm the author, whoever it was, of the book of Jonah, and, and knew things that only Jonah would know, puts these contrasts together here, where the prophet of God is on the ship and does not cry out to God, the pagans on the ship do cry out to God. Uh, I know pagan for some has a negative thing. It simply means those who don't know God. It's not a, a aspersion about anything about them other than that they don't know God. They cried out to their 
pagan gods. And, and there's that word hurl again, right? They began to hurl the cargo, their paychecks, right? Their paychecks. They began to hurl their paychecks off the boat. I don't know why my mind is gone. Did you ever see the movie The Perfect Storm? Is that a spooky movie or what? But do you remember the... Mo- I'm sorry if you don't... It's a movie about a, is it a fishing boat, swordfish boat, out of Massachusetts that, um, that was struggling. Uh, they, just, they just weren't making it, and they weren't earning enough, so they risked going out where they shouldn't go. They went out farther than they should go and could, knew that they could safely get back to. And the, the story is called The Perfect Storm because three storms all met right at the place that they were. And, and uh, the decision that cost them their lives was the decision to try and save the paycheck or the swordfish rather than get to safety, right? And, and here in the book of Jonah, they're chucking their, their swordfish overboard. They're chucking the cargo overboard. They are so desperate and so frightened that they are hurling it overboard. So the sailors are very animated. Now, I've shared with you before that Karen and I are very different people, that when we encounter stress, um, uh, she becomes more animated. And, and, and I have a different response. I become tired. That's the way I express stress. I get tired. Do you mind if I just take a quick nap here on the phone? Um, and so it creates an interesting situation when we have a conflict between us, right? Because she's getting more animated and it really ticks her off that I'm getting more sleepy, right? And, and I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. I can go right to sleep right there. Uh, I can go right to sleep in the midst of that relational storm. Uh, Jonah, I am Jonah, right? I am Jonah. While they became animated and did all the right things, by the way, I'm kissing up to my wife so I don't get yelled at later, um, they did all the right things. Um, um, Jonah went down. He went down. We saw last week he went down from Samaria to Joppa. And then he went down to the ship. And today we saw he went down into the belly of the ship and, and went down, lay down on his bunk. And I'm pushing this too far, but then he went down to sleep, right? He went to sleep. Jonah withdrew. He withdrew from the situation, right? And I don't, I, we do have some psychologists with us, but I would not be surprised if there's, some, if there's some evidence there that he is depressed. He is slipping into a very dark place, right? And it's symbolized by him continually going down, 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 right? Well, well it's so interesting to see the different responses between the men on the ship and Jonah. Press pause with me again and let's say, what can we learn from this? What can we learn? Let me just uh, uh, suggest that every sin has a storm. Okay? Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying if you're in a storm in your life, there must be some sin in your life. We've heard this story before, haven't we? It's the story of Job, right? And there was no sin in Job's life. But everyone wanted to say there must be because of, look what's happening to you. I didn't say that if you're in a storm, you must have sinned. What I said is that every sin has a storm. 
And if you don't understand that, then you will underestimate the, um, the destruction that is happening in our culture and in the cultures around us when we don't call out sin. When we don't call out and speak the truth in love, uh, the things that are going on in our culture, right? But, but every sin has a storm. Sometimes it's not immediately perceived. When, um, when Chernobyl, which has been in the news a lot lately, when Chernobyl happened, a lot of people had to rush in uh, immediately and, and, and they tried to do it in a way that they would be minimally exposed, right? And they came back out and they looked exactly the same as they had when they went in to Chernobyl, right? But something had happened, right? They had been irradiated and, and, uh, a, a course was begun that would end in their deaths, and in many other cases, very fast. Do you see the parallel? You may not see immediately the storm that's associated with your sin. You may not see the effects on yourself or on your loved ones of sin, but it is there, and it will ultimately have its effect on you, just like radiation, just like that. Well, let me suggest to you that... that Sometimes God hurls a storm. And this is, this is a really unique expression here in the Word of God. That God is, this is one of those times where God's saying like He did in Isaiah and Jeremiah, I'm causing this disaster. I'm causing it. Sometimes God causes the storm that you're experiencing. And by the way, we'll see this in the coming weeks, but, but there's always a, a blast zone of our sin, right? There's always people, innocent people who are affected by our sin and the storm that that sin generates. And, and those people are major players in the story. They're, they're the men on the ship. They're the captain on the ship. They're, those people are being affected by his sin. Sometimes God hurls the storm, but sometimes God's not sitting up there going, oh, I'm going to, oh there goes that ship. Wait, I'm, I'm sighting it. I'm going to get it. Sometimes the storm is just the natural consequence of the sin. If you live in a way that denies the way that you were created, at some point that's going to be a storm. At some point that's going to cause brokenness. At some point that's going to cause pain in your life. There, there are storms that are just the, the, the natural consequence of living in a way that doesn't honor God. And, and, and we can't deny that. And our culture is denying that big time. And, and it's only a matter of time before the effects of that Chernobyl shows up in our culture. Uh, so, so sometimes the storm is the natural consequence of sin. It might be our sin. I'm not trying to say that if you sin that, that God, because you're a Christian, then God's not going to have you. No, there may be natural consequences. Oh, he might, he'll forgive you every time you come to him, but there still could be consequences as a result of that, right? But, but sometimes it's the result of other people's sins. And we are the sailors on the ship. We are not the ones running from God, but we are the ones who feel the effect of that. And our ship is, is endangered because of someone else's sin, someone else's actions, someone else's lack of action. So, so what do we do from these Three little verses here. What do we do in the storm? Look what the captain said. Look what the captain said to Jonah. What are you doing? What do you, what do you mean? How can you be sleeping right now, right? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God 
perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Again, note how God uses a non-believer to speak to a believer. Uh, all of us self-righteous believers who look at our culture and, and discount everything a non-believer says, sometimes they're speaking on God's behalf to us. Sometimes the, the non-believers are speaking to the church and we're not listening. We'll explore that in the, in the, in the weeks and months to come here. But, but um, note how God uses a non-believer to teach a believer. He uses a pagan to speak to his prophet. What does he say? It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. Person of God. People of God. I have a purpose for your life and it's time to be awakened and again, we're praying that that happens in our church. We're praying that that happens in our families. We're praying that that happens especially in our city. In fact, we think that we're going to call the citywide prayer movement in February Awaken Evansville. We're asking God to wake us up, right? Wake us up and make us sensitive to his voice. But then he says, not only wake up, but stand up. Stand up. Let's get going. Um, another time we'll explore that teaching again, that oftentimes he just wants us to stand, to make a stand, and watch him work. You know, part of our fear is that we're hiding the ship because we don't want to do these things. But we're not going to do anything. We can't do anything. It's God who's going to work, but we will not see that unless we boldly stand and make a stand for the Word of God and the truth in love that he speaks. But I love this. I love this um, um, right here. That was my cue to her. Stand up and she missed it. Go ahead and stand up. There we go. There we go. I love this right here. Um, look up. Look up. Jonah, you're looking at the waves at your feet, right? You're looking, you're looking at the circumstances around you. Um, look up. God is speaking to you, Jonah. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. That's why we hinted at this other story that's so familiar to us. That there was another time when, when God threw a storm on the sea. Do you remember that? It was recorded for us in our scripture reading today, Matthew 14. And, and Jesus had withdrawn. When John the Baptist was, was um, killed, Jesus withdrew, but the crowds followed him. And, and, and he used the disciples to feed 20 thousand men, women, and and children, and they were exhausted, and he put them on a boat, and he went up, I believe it was Arbel, for those of you who were there, uh, and and, and where he could see the sea, and and he watched as the storm raged on his disciples for nine, at least nine hours. He watched for nine hours while they struggled against the storm, right? Right? And I don't know why he watched nine hours. I don't know why he didn't immediately come out to them. But, but clearly God hurled that storm. How do I know that? Because God calmed the storm later. And you remember what happened? He, he went out on the sea like he was going to walk by and waited for Peter to do something, right? And Peter saw him. He's terribly frightened, just like the men in this thing. He was exhausted and frightened and tired. And, and Peter saw him and, and said, Lord, if that's really you, 
call to me and I will be able to come to you. And Peter gets a bad rap for, for splashing, right? But we always forget that he didn't splash. He walked on the water. It was only when he took his eyes off of the Lord and put them on the circumstances at his feet, at his ship breaking up, at the storm that was raging around him. It was only then that he splashed. And I love what happened right there, right? Remember, wake up, <laughs> wake up, stand up. Look up, cry out to the Lord. When he began to sink, right? He didn't enter into some long theological treatise or anything like that. He just said, Lord, save me. He was probably speaking in Aramaic. We don't know for sure. might have been Greek. But if he was saying that in, in Hebrew, he would have said it Yeshua. Yehoshua is probably what he would have said. Which means Yahweh. Save me, right? The same root from which we get the name Yeshua or God saves, Yahweh saves, or Jesus, or Jesus. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what storms you're facing, but I know that you can cry out to him and he will respond. You can cry out, Lord, save me. You can cry out or shout out like we did earlier, Jesus, right? And immediately, Jesus not only took hold of him, but he spoke and the sea was calmed. The storm was stilled. There were our friend Mary... The first day that I met her, I've shared this with you many times, but the first day that I met her was in her office in the preschool, and right behind her head, I can see it like it was yesterday, was that little plaque on the wall that said, a pithy statement, said, um, sometimes the Lord stills the storm, and sometimes he calms the child and lets the storm rage. Jesus, calm the storm in us, would you? And we find ourselves in places that we cannot account for. And honestly, God, I find myself wanting to withdraw. Others find themselves very animated. And, and we, want to, we want to turn away. We want to go down and hide in the, in the belly of the ship. Um, but God, you're asking us to, to rise up. You're asking us to speak out. You're asking us to cry out to you. So God, in the midst of our storms, in the midst of the valleys of the shadow of death in which we find ourselves. Speak. Call us to Yourself. Reach out to us, God. Rescue us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.